0: This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome. It's a way for you to catch up to the top stories of the past week. Maybe the cold and the snow got in the way, you missed a few stories, or they got a headline. Well, this is a way through our reporters and editors and news anchors uh, for you to catch up to the stories you might have missed. It's good to have you with us. An example of some of the stories we're going to recap here for the week of February the 25th. Seattle Mayor talks about the state of the Emerald City. King County Metro continues to try to get back to pre-pandemic service levels. Also, a ruling on where you can wager on sports in Washington State. All right, let's get you caught up. A Mayor of Seattle is saying the state of the city is a work in progress toward a safer and more affordable future. Our own Ryan Harris with highlights from the mayor's address.
2: Mayor Bruce Harrell's plans still include recruiting more police officers and working with community organizations to reduce violence, but they also include the creation of a new civilian assisted response and engagement or care department with behavioral health and other professionals to provide appropriate responses. Still with hundreds of drug overdose and other other deaths last year alone, Harrell says. We're not afraid or intimidated to enforce the law and to make arrests when people cause damage to the fabric of our neighborhoods. Harrell also wants to battle homelessness by increasing the city's contribution to the King County Regional Homelessness Authority to nearly $97 million.
3: Further, my administration is making great strides in developing our city's next housing levy for growing our housing stock is absolutely critical
2: this year. The mayor also says bringing businesses, workers, and visitors back to Seattle's downtown is a key to the city's sustainability ryan harris northwest news radio u.s
1: senator patty murray gets an earful during a stop here in our city of seattle john lobertini with the story
4: patty murray held a safe streets round table with people fed up with aurora avenue who
5: was just feet away from the young man who was shot there in november
4: pastor laura bumgartner counsels students from nearby ingram high school
5: He shared with me the night after the shooting, you know, how traumatic it was for him and how he doesn't know that he'll ever
6: recover from that trauma.
4: The complaints are many. No sidewalks, high-speed traffic, crosswalks too dangerous for senior citizens.
6: I've had three seniors that
5: said they have actually been hit by cars.
4: Julie Taylor manages nearby New Haven Housing.
7: They said that the crosswalk flights are too fast for someone with a disability or an inability to walk briskly.
4: Murray was all ears and quickly mentioned her newly minted power as chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee.
8: One of the reasons I wanted to be here today was to hear what are the investments we can make at the federal level to help people right here on the ground who are doing really great things.
4: It's a
1: fight she's won before. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Following years of pandemic-related problems and one of the worst holiday seasons to travel, the federal government wants to know why the industry has run into so many problems. In fact, the U.S. Department of Transportation's Inspector General's office launching an audit. A story that appeared in the Washington Post. Here's Taylor vansize Lori, what's the scope of this audit? What does the IG's office hope to discover
9: at the end of all of this?
6: I think this is the latest in a series of efforts, as you mentioned, to really get to the bottom of what's been causing all these travel delays, all these flight delays and cancellations. So the inspector general really wants to take a look at the data. They want to make sure that the data that's being reported by the airlines is accurate, that it's really reflecting what's happening out there and what the causes may be. They also want to take a look at sort of the tools that the Department of Transportation may have to hold airlines accountable for what's been happening. If it turns out these are issues that are coming up on, on the industry's end.
9: And before we even get a look at that audit, we have a pretty good idea of how unreliable those guys seem to be. You cite some pretty frustrating numbers in your report about how many tens of thousands of flights are delayed, canceled or, or otherwise in a given month.
6: Yeah, last year, you know, if folks started flying during 2021, there were a lot of really significant meltdowns that folks were caught in. And airlines said, well, you know, we don't have enough staff. You know, we're trying to ramp up. This is new to us. So, they've done a ton of hiring, and so they said, you know, we're going to focus on reliability, we're going to trim our schedules and make sure that we can operate these schedules. And they ran into a lot of trouble. And 2022, as you mentioned, actually ended up being a worse year than the year before. They had, I think, you know, it seems like a small number of cancellations, right? 2.4%, but that's almost 200,000 flights that were canceled. And then you had about 21% that were delayed. You know, and it may seem like a small thing, oh, but if you're one of those people or if you're one of those people that ca- caught up in the Southwest meltdown over Christmas, you are not happy.
9: Southwest obviously has a big target painted on their back. We saw them face uh, questions in front of Congress. But where else are there weaknesses? I mean, beyond a single airline's business model, what systems could be under the microscope or even large organizations like the like the FAA?
6: Yeah, the FAA, is, as you may recall, ran into trouble earlier this year. They had a pilot notification system that went down. And so for the first time, it's a system called the Notice to Air Missions that pilots have to look at just to identify any hazards, runway closures, or anything that might affect the flight before it departs from the airport. That system went down for, they took it down for about 90 minutes. It caused a lot of flight delays, but it also pointed to some issues with technology right the faa is like many other big organizations they've got to update their technology and make sure that it's working um you know that was a case where they had backups but apparently the backups weren't robust enough so you're right it's not just the airlines that are on the hot seat it's the faa as well
9: it's a big problem and a big organization doing the investigation do you have any guess on how long this audit might take to complete and come to, uh, to public eyes?
6: I don't know, but the the IG did say that it's going to be one of several audits that they're going to do. I think they want to get some baseline and get an idea of what the data says, you know, whether it's accurate. And then from there, you know, they can look at other, if they identify problems or trouble spots, they can delve into those more deeply.
9: Much more to come from this, and we'll find your coverage all online at WashingtonPost.com. That's Lori Aratani.
1: A teen wants the right to vote. Now the Oregon State Legislature is talking about the idea. 15-year-old
10: Devin Lawson is behind an Oregon House joint resolution which would ask that state's voters to lower the voting age to 16.
0: I see no reason why the...
1: House wouldn't pass this bill um, because there's, it's already gotten a lot of support and a lot of people are talking about it.
10: A similar measure failed in 2021, but Lawson convinced Democratic Oregon State Rep Rob Nose to reintroduce it. I just didn't feel like I could tell him no. Nose tells Portland's K2 TV lowering the voting age would encourage younger generations to become engaged with politics. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio.
1: School without enough recess is not good for smaller kids. That's according to backers of legislation that would guarantee younger students at least a half hour of recess a day. It's a bill that has now passed the state Senate.
11: In a 28 to 21 vote, the Senate has passed a bill to ensure primary school kids get at least a half hour recess daily. The legislation follows up on a survey finding a third of Washington primary schools provide only 16 to 30 minutes of recess a day. State Senator Mark Mullett is a Democrat from Issaquah.
9: We want At least 30 minutes of recess, and we want to do that on days when you're in
12: school the entire day.
11: Republican Senator Perry Dozier from Walla Walla County is unsure. He speaks of a conversation he had with a rural school superintendent.
4: And he goes, I don't know how I'm going to find enough hours for instructional.
11: According to the bill, schools must meet the 30-minute recess requirement, except on shortened days, such as scheduled half days or weather-delayed days. Corwin Hake, Northwest News
1: Radio. Major park improvements on the horizon for a city in Pierce County.
13: Ording has plans to renovate the North, Main, and Charter parks in its downtown. Mayor Josh Penner tells the Tacoma News Tribune some ideas include installing more sports courts and a splash pad, among other features. We're actively seeking community input right now, and we anticipate having a finalized version of the Parks Master Plan sometime around April or May. There are three proposals, but there's also the possibility specific features would be pulled from each and combined into one final version. The city will apply for grants and hopes to get funds from the legislature when plans are nearly complete. Eric Heitz, Northwest News Radio.
1: It's major fees due when it comes to outstanding parking tickets and traffic tickets. We'll get to that story and the future of King County Metro. Also, another story of the past week, Washington State Department of Agriculture officials are cautiously optimistic about their efforts to eradicate the northern giant hornet, also known as the murder hornet.
8: WSDA entomologist Dr. Chris Looney sums up last year's efforts.
11: The end game of 2022 was... Not a hornet found and no nests.
8: New this year, WSDA entomologists are working with scientists in Japan and Korea to observe the hornet in its native environment.
11: At the end of the day, what we hope that this will do is is provide a lot of insights into how hornets behave on the landscape.
8: Lully also noted that the research will help them determine where the hornets found in Washington State and British Columbia in recent years originated. Research continues in Korea this summer and fall with establishing test nests, building a tracking network, and tagging individual hornets. WSDA says the hornet is not yet considered eradicated. For that, federal guidelines require three consecutive years without a confirmed detection. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio.
1: I'm Mark Christopher, and you're in tune to Northwest News This Week, ending February the 25th. We'll get back to more of our stories coming up. You're listening to Northwest This Week. over education and traffic stories of the past week here for you now. Metro Transit struggling to return to pre-pandemic service levels, even as ridership rebounds.
11: Bus rider Wes Mills is nostalgic for the glory days of 2018 and 2019 when he says Metro buses seem to go everywhere all day long and on weekends too. Those
14: years had the best bus service I've ever ridden and I long for them to return.
11: Mills addressed the Metropolitan King County Council, which has now approved a Metro Service Recovery Plan. As Metro General Manager Michelle Allison tells the council. Things are different
8: than they were a couple years ago.
11: She says with the growth of remote work, only 50 percent of Metro's pre-pandemic commuters are back to riding five days a week. Allison tells the council Metro's future may include much more on-demand service, including app-based ride sharing.
8: Our on-demand services cost the same as a Metro
11: bus fare. Staffing is an issue. Metro, like many companies and agencies, is struggling to find qualified employees. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: A Washington school district is short of cash, and some teachers could lose their jobs.
10: Olympia School Superintendent Patrick Murphy says they're dealing with a $17 million budget deficit for the 2023-24 school year. According to The Olympian, he says there are a number of reasons for that, including the pandemic. Enrollment is dropping. Since the start of the pandemic, the 9,000 student district has lost 700 students. In fact, next year's enrollment is lower than it was 10 years ago. But there are 281 more staff budget this year than in 2013. The district is trying to figure out how to fill the budget gap and Murphy says layoffs are expected. The district hopes to have a final budget assessment by March. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio.
1: Thank you, Frank. About half of our state's budget goes to schools, so Northwest News Radio's Ryan Harris listened as Governor Jay Inslee got an update on improvements in our high school graduation rates.
2: The overall high school graduation rate in Washington was 82.3% for the class of 2022, and when broken down by racial and other demographics, there was growth among nearly every group, including foster kids. Janellis Cantoon told the governor she went from 15 and pregnant in foster care to a mother and grandmother in her 40s, now just waiting for her graduation from the High School Plus program, which her daughter is also about to finish. And I'm so
5: thankful for that because I have never really seen a future for myself other than like the streets and what the streets will provide.
2: Governor Inslee says homeless kids also face educational challenges, so he's asking lawmakers to help them with housing. So I'm really
12: hopeful the legislature will understand that's an educational issue. To have kids succeed educationally, they've got to have a roof over their heads.
2: The governor also reminded his results Washington panel that he'd like to scale up and and speed up the improvements we've made. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
1: State lawmakers are considering a bill that would give teachers more time to meet and work together within the school day. Opponents argue the measure, though, will deprive students of desperately needed educational instruction.
5: The text of the bill proposes to redefine the meaning of instructional hours in state law to include the time students spend with non-teachers, where their teachers would instead be meeting in groups. Nasawena Shido with the Washington Education Association. Teachers could learn and grow together, reviewing data, discussing their teaching practice, and directing their own learning how they can about how they can best impact student learning. Lee Finna with the Conservative Washington Policy Center says it would cut traditional instruction time for students by four hours a week. Lowering standards and cutting instructional time denies children access to a high quality public education. It's no wonder the search for school alternatives is becoming increasingly popular. Opponents argue less time in the classroom at a time when student test scores show pandemic learning losses is the wrong approach. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: Again, we're here helping you catch up to the stories of the past week ending February the 25th. Seattle Municipal Court having trouble finding people who owe them money.
8: The Seattle Times reports the court started collecting past due parking and traffic tickets last month. But many people who may owe money have moved since late notices dating back to March 2020 were sent. Of the 90,000 notices sent out in the first batch of collections, about 15,000 were returned to the court as undeliverable, according to court spokesperson Gary Ireland. Anyone suspecting they have a ticket can go to the court's online portal and search by name and license plate number. Kathy O'Shea. Northwest News Radio.
1: And then a story of Corwin Hake of Northwest News Radio here. A patient died who shouldn't have due to a short-staffed hospital. That's what one nurse tells state lawmakers as she and many others lobby for minimum staffing levels.
11: Nurses from hospitals all over the state weighed in, in person, and remotely to ask lawmakers to embed into state law something hospital administrators are unwilling or unable to do. Fully staff their wards with nurses. It's been
8: many months, probably over a year since been properly staffed.
11: The consequences go beyond burned-out employees. Katie Roth, an 18-year nursing veteran currently at Providence in Everett, drops a bombshell.
8: Last week, I had a patient who died on my shift and he should not have. He was vulnerable, as many people in the hospital are. Events occurred during the previous shifts due to staffing. They were too busy to fully understand the situation.
11: The chief nursing officer at Providence agrees the facility is understaffed, but tells the Everett Herald, the hospital has had no findings of a death Related to staffing. Senate Bill 5236 calls on state labor regulators to create minimum hospital nurse staffing levels by 2027. In Olympia, Corwin Hake, Northwest
1: News Radio. REI has agreed to make a big change to many of its products. Northwest News Radio's Marina Rockinger.
7: The Seattle outdoor retailer has agreed after a campaign of letters, petitions, social media and rallies to stop using PFAS on many of its products. Erica Schrader, a scientist with Toxic Free Future, a chemical safety advocacy group, tells me PFAS are chemicals used as a surface coating to make things like rain gear waterproof.
6: PFAS are nicknamed forever chemicals because they're so persistent in the environment and many of them are toxic at very low levels of exposure.
7: She says that exposure can lead to serious health concerns over time, like cancer, hormone disruption, and high cholesterol. There
6: have also been a number of studies that show that kids who have higher exposure to PFAS have worse immune responses, which of course is a huge concern with all the infectious disease challenges we have.
7: The EPA is still working to fully understand PFAS exposure. REI plans to start using safer alternatives for many of its products like apparel, hiking boots, and backpacks starting in the fall of 2024. Marina rockinger northwest news radio
1: so many stories to catch up to here the week of february 25th in fact coming up sports wagers comes to mind in our state and also work on a problem gambling bill and here i'm looking at this one did twitter help terrorists carry out an attack in 2017 whether or not twitter can be sued for posts made by isis sympathizers came before the u.s supreme court this past week robert barnes covers the supreme court for the washington post and shared this with our listeners
3: on the surface this seems like it could be a test of that much talked about section 230 law which protects tech companies from things their users post tell us about the history of this case
15: well the court over the last uh, two days this week has looked at Section 230, as you mentioned, and also this case about Twitter, which is a little different. This one says that Twitter could be sued under the Anti-Terrorism Act for allowing these ISIS-related posts on the site, even though there is no testimony, no evidence that those who carried out this attack did it and and used Twitter as an instrument in that way. We saw that the justices were kind of skeptical about that claim and whether Twitter could really be held liable for what others post on the site. A law professor
3: from the University of Washington here in Seattle, as you report, is representing the plaintiffs. What's his argument as to why Twitter helped that terrorist enterprise?
15: Well, he says that you have to look at just what you said, the whole enterprise, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's expensive to run a terrorist organization, they need to raise money, they need to have support, and that even if there was nothing specific to this attack, twitter was allowing isis to use the platform to sort of further its whole enterprise
3: what's twitter's rebuttal what's their argument
15: twitter's rebuttal is that it doesn't countenance doesn't uh, has policies against uh, terrorist material on the site but you know it has billion users And it can't be responsible for everything. It takes down those that it finds and says that if they had been told about specific things that they should take down, they would have done that. But it's basically just too big for... Twitter to monitor everything about it.
3: Quickly, before we let you go, what kind of questions or comments came down from the justices? Did they buy the argument that Twitter shares responsibility with the Islamic State group?
15: You didn't hear a whole lot of that. This case is in the posture of whether the lawsuit should go forward. And so some, at least one justice, thought it could be a question for a jury to decide. Others seemed more skeptical that this lawsuit could go forward.
3: Very fascinating story. You're covering it wonderfully. Thank you, Robert Barnes. With the Washington Post, you can check it out at WashingtonPost.com.
1: That's Northwest News Radio's Tom Hutler. I'm Mark Christopher. The stories from the week of February the 25th, it's called Northwest News This Week. Hang with us for even more.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher.
1: Welcome back. A local man accused of defrauding a federal program during the pandemic admits to financial fraud.
7: Joseph Freeman, 62 of Redmond, has pleaded guilty to ripping off the federal paycheck protection program, or PPP. The program was offered by the government to businesses to help pay employees with paycheck protection loans. Freeman admits in 2020, he used the names of two of his companies, one of which had no employees other than himself, to attempt to receive $646,000 in COVID 19 relief funds. According to U.S. District Court documents, Freeman also falsified IRS forms and bank statements. Conspiracy to commit theft of government funds is punishable by up to five years in prison and a fine of $250,000 or twice the gross monetary gain. Freeman is set to be sentenced in May. Marina Rockinger, Northwest News Radio.
1: President Joe Biden this past week proposing a new rule for asylum seekers that requires them to seek refuge in another country. First... Already, there are legal challenges, as you can imagine. Here's Jeff Podula.
16: Well, it's a proposed rule. Uh, and the public has a couple of weeks to comment on it. You can be certain the ACLU and immigration rights groups will be commenting. ACLU has already threatened to sue President Biden to stop him from doing this here. So this is reminiscent of what President Trump did, where he uh, basically had this stay in Mexico policy that the courts have said he couldn't have done or should not have done. Uh, but President Biden is saying, look, first you have to apply for asylum in a country you're transiting through, uh, unless you think there's some reason to fear your for your life there, which is what some immigration folks think is the case. Uh, and then if you do want to apply for asylum in the United States, you have to go to an embassy in the country on the border here, which would be Mexico, apply for it and stay there and wait until you hear You can't just waltz across the the border and say, hey, I'm here, give me asylum, which is what many people do. Uh, There are going to be some exceptions to this, specifically um, that teenagers and children who come here unaccompanied by parents uh, won't fall into this category. But they hope to dramatically cut the number of people there. And if you do not follow these rules under the new Biden ruling, uh, you will be immediately deported out of the country, uh, which is not what happens now with asylum seekers. They get to stay here for quite some time. Uh, the Biden administration, remember president Biden could be running for re-election. He knows he's that this is one of his most vulnerable areas where Republicans have repeatedly criticized him for making it easier for illegal immigration to come into this country, despite the fact that they are arresting people at a, a much higher rate uh, than they have previously and this may be in response to this here but of course there are democrats and uh, civil rights groups as well as immigration groups who say you can't do this Uh, president trump lost there when we sued and we're going to sue you again you're going to lose again here well neither of
14: us are attorneys much less immigration attorneys but it seems to be on the surface the federal government can't tell someone who is not a citizen of the united states what to do when they're in another country i.e. seek asylum in that country it it, it seems like it's pretty far-fetched
16: all they can say is if you want asylum in this country here's our new rule you first have to apply for it somewhere else to make sure that you can get asylum there and if you can't you can still apply for asylum in the united states you just have to do it at an embassy and make an appointment to see someone you can't just come in over the border and say hey here i am give me asylum Those are rules that they have put that they want to put in place as an emergency stopgap measure. Now, Congress can do a whole lot to fix all of these problems by passing new laws. They just have refused to do it over the past few years.
1: That's ABC's Andy Field talking with Jeff Poldula, who is host of a podcast we also feature in a program Heard Weekends here, Politicast. You'll find it at nwnewsradio.com. Sports wagering in our state will remain the sole purview of tribal casinos as a federal judge strikes down a lawsuit seeking
11: to expand it. Maverick Gaming, which operates multiple card rooms statewide, filed suit against the state, hoping to overturn a law that says only tribes can run sports books. Instead, U.S. Chief Judge David Estudio dismissed the suit, urged on by tribes who said it would harm their exclusive rights. Maverick owner Eric Person had framed his suit as a potential economic engine. Just as tribal nations need revenue to pay for critical needs, so does our state and cities need the tax dollars that will be generated for critical care services and family wage jobs. This is something where we can all win. He addressed a state senate committee earlier this month in hopes legislation could overturn the tribal exclusive. But that legislation is now in peril. Now that the federal judge has agreed with tribes, the suit and the bill would undermine their sovereignty. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: People dealing with a gambling addiction could soon have more help from our state. And the help comes from a bill that has passed another state house committee.
2: The main thrust of House Bill 1681 is an increase in taxes on gaming businesses with income over $50,000 to 0.2% next fiscal year and then one quarter of 1% after that. Same for the amount the state lottery will have to transfer from its multi-state game proceeds to the problem gambling account. Democratic representative Representative Sharon Wiley of Vancouver says the bill comes after a lot of work by the Problem Gambling Task Force. It is supported by the industry. In our state, we have fewer resources than most
8: states do to address problem gambling.
2: Republican Representative Ed Orcutt of Kalama says he's represented two districts that have card rooms. And they've been suffering through some pretty tough
12: times, and so I'm concerned about doing anything that's going to result in more expense to them.
2: Orcutt and Pierce County Republican Cindy Jacobson were the two no-vote. As the bill passed the House Finance Committee, Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
1: In our next segment, some old timber and the future of it in Lewis County. And just how much are we saving for a rainy day? Is it enough? You'll want to hear those stories and this one as well. Sports has the ability to make people feel a little better during the worst of times. Many agree. Bill Schwartz tells us how one basketball game helped uplift a grieving college community.
0: 68-year-old Hall of Fame coach Tom Izzo gazed into the crowd, tears welling in his eyes, as his men's basketball team was about to take the floor.
12: I was appreciative that I'm at Michigan State. I, I wish I could have ran up to that top row and thanked the people that were there. It was the Spartans' first
0: home game since a mass shooting on the East Lansing campus took three lives. Five other students are hospitalized. The victims, survivors, and first responders from the shooting, recognized with pregame remarks. There was also a moment of silence broken by the Michigan State band playing MSU Shadows.
12: I just, I did, I just looked around. That's all I did was look around. And and all the bads at times with this job, it was one of those moments where I just said, uh, i I'm a lucky guy.
0: Michigan State and Indiana University coaches and players all wore t-shirts saying Spartan Strong. Eight more shirts were laid out on empty chairs in the front rows of the student section. The game did not start well for the home team, but Michigan State rallied to upset the Hoosiers. For a grieving community trying to make sense of the senseless, Michigan State University President Teresa Woodruff reminded the coach and players what a simple basketball game can mean.
12: She said, well, you're- The way to hug 15,000 people is for your team to play well in front of them. And I thought that was uh, a damn good statement. And I told my team that. I said, if you want to make people feel better and you want to, you know, give them a hug, this is the way you give them a hug. So I hope all 15,000 people enjoyed the hug.
0: While many in East Lansing, Michigan, will never forget the horror of February 13th, some can now cherish February 21st.
12: Today was a day that I think people will remember. And uh, unfortunately, last Monday was a day they'll remember. I hope this one brought a little bit of a smile to some people's face.
1: I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio i'm mark christopher whether it's a podcast at nwnewsradio.com or each and every week find it right here on am 1000 fm 97.7 you have found a way to catch up to the stories you might have missed for the week of february the 25th more of northwest news this week straight ahead this is northwest news this week As we continue in response to the toxic train derailment in Ohio, lawmakers here in Olympia have introduced a bill that would take steps to improve safety in Washington.
4: State Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos is co-sponsor of House Bill 1839.
8: There is a bit of a federal preemption issue here.
4: The feds have most of the control over railroads, but not all of it.
8: But I would argue that as legislators in Washington state, our primary obligation is to the safety who live, reside, pay taxes, and visit.
4: The bill would ban trains in Washington longer than 7,500 feet, but Tomiko Santos also also points to a 2019 government accountability report that highlights aging railroad tracks as a serious threat
8: your ranking member does have a bill in front of the finance committee that I'm pleased to sit on that would address how can we help improve the rail line maintenance
4: the bill also authorizes the state utility and transportation commission to evaluate the number of operators on a train in ohio there were just 3 and fines could be increased to
1: $250,000 per offense john lobertini northwest news radio We're now hearing from Alaska Airlines about the tales of two Boeing 737s that scraped the runway just minutes apart from each other during takeoff at SeaTac International.
10: It happened on January 26th as the planes took off just six minutes apart. Alaska Airlines says the tail touches were caused by a software glitch. This is ABC's Seattle-based aviation analyst John Nance, a retired commercial pilot.
0: What's really the concern here is to make sure that we can do computer updates on any of these systems without them having the potential of imperiling the airplanes.
10: Alaska also says the tail touches were nearly imperceptible to passengers and that both aircraft were cleared by maintenance and safety teams to return to service that day. Frank Lindsay, Northwest News Radio.
1: Tow truck operators should be able to use blue flashing lights when they reach a stranded motorist or accident scene under a new bill which has now cleared the state senate. Here's Carlene Johnson.
5: Republican Senator Jeff Wilson of Longview sponsored the bill last year and again this year after a pair of deadly tow truck operator accidents in 2021. And yet another operator was killed February last year, struck and killed by a semi near Fife as he prepared to tow a disabled vehicle. The blue lights give a chance to return a father, a friend back home that night. Wilson's proposal expands the use of warning flashers. They already have red flashers. Now they'll be able to add rear facing blue flashers once they reach an emergency scene. Chris Zachary with Burns Towing testified in support. We really need to get drivers to slow down and to know that up ahead of them, on the highway, there's a tow truck operator trying to do his or her job. According to AAA, an average of 60 tow truck operators are killed on the job each year. More than 1,200 are injured. The measure now moves to the house. Carleen Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: The city of Everett considering the purchase of two prefab public bathrooms for its downtown core.
14: The steel boxes, roughly 6 feet wide, 10 feet long, and 8 feet high, would be placed near the Cope Gillette Theater on Wentmore and the Ever Park Garage on Hoyt. The total cost would be about $315,000, not including installation, according to the Everett Herald. Now, the money comes from the Federal American Rescue Plan Act passed in the wake of the economic downturn following the pandemic. Seattle experimented with similar public restrooms, but they became havens for drug dealing and other crimes. The manufacturer of this particular design says it is vandalism resistant. The Everett City Council will vote on the plan at its meeting later tonight at 630. In Everett, Jeff Pogel of Northwest News Radio.
1: And now for that future of some old timber in Lewis County. Manufacturer of Northwest News Radio tells us why they're coming down.
8: The Department of Natural Resources auctioned off the land for more than $2.8 million in January. It's a more than 100-acre site known as the McCannon Timber Sale. About two-thirds of the proceeds will go to the Capitol Building Trust. That pays for capital projects on the Capitol campus in Olympia. The rest will be divvied up between public education programs and Lewis County. According to the Seattle Times, this timber sale in southwest Washington is a common one, but it's also an example of a state forest to some conservationists want to preserve. Manda Factor, Northwest News
2: Radio.
1: If you heard of Bill Gates grabbing a bit of a multinational brewing company, we'll cover that story just ahead. And and maybe more lottery winner stories we share will help you finally get a win. And when it comes to having a lot of money and saving perhaps for a rainy day, a new survey shows many of us aren't doing so well at that. Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick shared this with our listeners.
3: What are the highlights or maybe more appropriately lowlights of this uh, survey?
17: Well, Americans obviously have been frustrated and hindered by high and persistent inflation, and our new bankrate survey finds that 49% of Americans have either less or no emergency savings compared to a year ago. Uh, 25%, obviously 1 in 4 or say their emergency savings is about the same. Uh, 10% had no emergency savings a year ago and have none now. So uh, this is sort of a situation where American household finances are uh, not making broader progress. And uh, we want to caution people that uh, everyone can probably do better at some combination of saving for emergency, saving for retirement, and also trying to pay down debt.
3: What about when it comes to emergency savings
17: versus the credit card debt? Yeah, that one is most alarming, I think, Tom, because we find that for 36 percent of adults, uh, they say their credit card debt outweighs their emergency savings. And uh, last month, we talked about the fact that a majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and a minority, only a minority, can pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from savings. So, you know, we want to advise people and help them and remind them that in a rising interest rate environment one of the few positive developments is the fact that higher yields are being paid on savings particularly for people who shop around for the best rate and emergency savings should be liquid meaning that we can get at it don't have to sell a house or investments mm-hmm. to get to it uh and those are the accounts where you can find the yields of three four and five percent okay uh,
3: generational trends what are we looking at yeah. as far as the breakdown there
17: Broadly speaking, Tom, it's people who are earlier in their career and financial life trajectories uh, are not as well established by almost definition, and therefore they have less in emergency savings. And those who are more senior, uh, who are older and have had their careers and incomes established for some time, are doing better with that. And there are some structural issues that have hindered the personal finances of younger Americans, where more people have to pay for their retirements to save for their retirements, as opposed to pensions being plentiful in the past. More people have to pay for a higher education, whereas taxpayers helped to shoulder that burden in the past. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons why many people are struggling, and inflation is the short-term or cyclical reason why uh, they are as well. All right. Always good to talk to you. Thanks
3: for your insight again. That is Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick, that survey available at bankrate.com.
1: Tom Huntler there of Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. We're helping to catch up to the top stories for the week ending February the 25th here with Northwest News This Week. Northwest This Week continues. And a few more stories you might have missed for the week of February the 25th. To preserve wild salmon runs, you need salmon parks. That's what tribal environmentalists are saying as they propose a decades-long effort. According
11: to a concept put in motion by Northwest Native tribes, a salmon park is an area designated to protect wild salmon habitat. That is, bubbling streams cooled by old-growth trees. Adam Olson is house leader for the Green Party in the
10: Vancouver, B.C. legislature. When we say we want wild salmon to return we're going to have to have the restraint to preserve that habitat.
11: In a short film about the Salmon Park Initiative Olson and others call for clear-cut logging to be banned in some watersheds at least long enough for lost old growth forest to grow back. That would take a couple of decades or more. They'll
2: be protected from industrial extraction and they'll be allowed to heal.
11: Jeffrey Blondeau is a tribal environmentalist in
17: B.C. Only the trees can mend these streams.
11: Accomplishing their goal could require BC's New Chotlet tribe to win a consequential legal decision. The tribe is suing the BC government for the right to manage their tribal land. The case has gone to the BC Supreme Court. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: Bill Gates has purchased a minority stake, we found out, in a multinational brewing company. Kathy O'Shea of Northwest News.
8: Reuters reports Gates picked up 3.8% of Heineken Holding, the controlling shareholder of the world's second-largest brewer. Gates bought 6.65 million shares as an individual and another 4.18 million shares through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Trust. Bloomberg valued the shares at $902 million. The Microsoft founder purchased the shares for Mexico's FEMSA, which sold all of the shares it held in Heineken Holding. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest
13: News Radio.
1: And now for that winning lottery story, it's quite good. A Snohomish man thought he won $100 after picking a winning Powerball ticket?
13: The man, identified only as Tommy, who recently retired as a custodian, usually plays lotto and Hit 5. After winning $15 on Hit 5, he decided to reinvest the winnings into Powerball tickets because of its high jackpot. When he checked the winning numbers, at first he thought he only matched enough to win a $100 prize. But upon further review, he realized he had enough numbers to win the prize for $50,000. Tommy says he's now debt-free and has put a large amount of cash into his life savings. Eric Heintz, Northwest News Radio.
1: And as we all have a smile on our face thinking about what a lucky win and for checking that ticket, it was a few months ago during one of the major jackpots we had, either Powerball or Mega Millions, they did a survey and found that over $50 million was unclaimed due to all the people that never checked their tickets for minor jackpots always verify because like the story we just shared you might have some kind of a winning Northwest News this week, ending for the week of February the 25th. There you go. You're all caught up. And By the way, it's heard every week here on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7 at this very time. Also available as a podcast for your convenience at our website, nwnewsradio.com, nwnewsradio.com, where you'll find other favorites like Politicast, LifeBeat, and Puget Sound now. And if you prefer this as a podcast, we hope you'll take a moment with a rating and a review at Apple Podcast. Thank you for doing that. Northwest News This Week comes to you each and every week with the help of producer Bill O'Neill and editor and tech advisor Painter Webb. I'm Mark Christopher. Thank you so much for listening. Good luck in future lottery games, and we'll see you next time.